last week, I had several people telling me how you'd been praying for, for my wife, and uh, I'm grateful for that, uh, to let you know she's doing, doing so much better. Uh, but uh, yeah, last Sunday was a little, <laughs> little nerve-wracking. Uh, anytime you have uh, loved ones that are uh, having health issues and, uh, and that, and fairly significant health issues. Uh, and so I would ask you continue to pray for her for a uh, full recovery uh, so far. Uh, no lasting effects to a uh, potential stroke, but I'm uh, uh, going to see a, a neurologist again and that kind of thing. So, uh, And then she's recovering from shoulder surgery too. So to make uh, matters worse, uh, just obviously not 100%, but, uh, but so much better. Uh, I, she was doing so well. She was uh, left her for a few hours on Friday so I could go teach my classes. And when I got back, she had cleaned out the refrigerator. So uh, that tells you she's doing better. Uh, certainly it does. And then this morning I go, well, what do you want for breakfast? And she goes, I got it. And she's got up and took care of her own stuff. And I'm like, but I'm here. So, uh, and then uh, I did bring my, my 10-year-old with me. So if you see me leave here without her, if you could stop me and tell me to go back and get her. Um, I've never actually left her somewhere. I do tend to forget to go pick her up. So uh, I would appreciate that. Uh, so what we're going to do last week, we're going to do today, uh, and then uh, kind of see where it goes from there, but, but really talking about life hacks. If this is something you're not familiar with, a life hack is a, a usually simple and clever tip or technique to accomplish something familiar more easily or efficiently. And, and I really want to kind of look at it from the perspective that, that we really do have the most important life hacks in God's word. There are uh, videos and, um, and blogs that are written about this. And, and they're always kind of, some of them are kind of funny. There's like really lame life hacks. I don't know if you guys have seen this, uh, but there's ones like, you know, if you're, if you're eating French fries and your fingers get greasy, you know how to fix it. You eat it with chopsticks. It's like, well, that's kind of lame, but, but it is a thing. Or, or my favorite was, um, you know, when you go to make pasta and you got to boil the water and, and every time it just seems like a lot of work. So, so how about at the beginning of the week, you boil all the pasta water you need and then freeze it in, in Ziploc bags. So then you have your, that one just doesn't make sense. I will agree with that. And so there are some very real life hacks in God's word. And our job is to make sure that people learn, that people hear about it. You want to make your life easier. Life hack number one, fear the Lord. Scripture says it so many times, fear God. But this might cause you some problems. I don't know about you, but, but my first instinct is, are we supposed to be afraid of God? Yet we are exhorted in scripture in so many places to fear God. So how does this work when we're also told he is our refuge and our strength? 
right? It's, it's him that we go to for shelter, for protection. We're told to boldly approach the throne of grace and yet boldly approach, but we're afraid. And I think that, that possibly it's our definition of the word fear. We need to think about fear maybe slightly differently. You might think of fear maybe as respect, like the respect you have for for an artist that you appreciate their art. Respect for someone in authority that has maybe earned respect. Respect for someone that can inflict consequences on you or or perhaps remove consequences from you. But take all of these together and multiply them. Maybe, maybe exponentially increase them. I was maybe thinking about it this way. When, when my, my kids were, were little, I didn't want them to be afraid of me. But when I told them to do something, I wanted them to do it without question. Right? I didn't want them to, to cower in fear, but I did want them to say, yeah, you bet, dad, and go do it. And so there's, there's kind of an element of, of the reason that I want them to do that is I want them to think if I don't do what dad wants, there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be some effect that, that is not going to be uh, something that they want to happen. And so I want them to listen. And, and when you think about fearing God, right, God has an expectation that, that when he says, here's what you're going to do, you go, Yes, sir. Yes, my Lord. Right? There's going to be a response to that. Here's how Proverbs states it. This is uh, chapter 14 of Proverbs, starting in verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Fear or respect for the Lord brings four things just right there. Number one, it brings confidence. That that when you have a fear of God, you're going to be someone of confidence. Because uh, as Oswald Sanders, the author of the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. And so fearing God gives you confidence facing everything else. He also says that when you fear God, there's, there's safety, right? Because the Lord is for us who can stand against us. Romans 8.31. When you fear God, there's a, a promise of life. Everlasting life, eternal life. In fact, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or abundant. There's a promise of life when you fear God. Then the fourth one is is protection. You say, well, wait a minute. I fear God, so I'm protected? Not exactly. It's that a fear of God will keep you from doing things that that might be pretty stupid. Uh, There are a lot of things that I felt perfectly fine doing, participating in, before I understood who Christ was and what he desired to do in my life. And so with a fear of God, you're protected. 
our culture's changed a bit and we're not uh, taught about a respect for authority in the same way. In fact, we're, we're kind of the, the result of, of uh, uh, parents, maybe grandparents of the 60s and 70s, and there's this question authority. Yet, is that really what we're supposed to do when it comes to the reality of who God is? Right? If God created the heavens and the earth, shouldn't we have an awesome fear of who he is? Then when you're driving down the road and you see the black and white car and your first instinct is to hit the brakes regardless of the speed you're going, right? There's maybe a healthy fear and, and then there's an irrational fear. So, so what is the kind of fear that we should have? Our, our understanding of who God is causes us to behave, to think, to engage with others in a certain way. So I've got a few that I wanted to point out. And if you're filling in the blanks, taking notes, you could write some of those down or take some notes on those. Uh, Number one, fearing the Lord will give you wisdom. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we talked about the difference between wisdom and knowledge. So a fear of God isn't just a, a, a list of what you ought to know, right? Fearing God isn't, a, uh, the result of a Google search. Fearing God gives you more discernment. Psalm 11, 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. Right, so the, the fear of the Lord, that's, that's the start of wisdom, that you grow in wisdom when you fear the Lord. As in, it is wise to fear the Lord. When, when I started uh, driving, I remember overhearing a conversation between my parents. And uh, my, my stepdad was telling my mom about a friend of his that was driving down the freeway. I remember the details. It was the 91 freeway in Orange County. Driving down the freeway and changed lanes and hit someone on a motorcycle. And the guy on the motorcycle died. And so this guy carelessly making a lane change, accidentally hitting someone, killed him. He was arrested. He did jail time. Now, I literally, the conversation wasn't directed at me at all, but I heard it and understood the, the awesome responsibility of driving. In fact, when I'm driving, I'm looking over my shoulder constantly. Now you're supposed to do that. I get it, right? Mirrors, cameras, all that kind of stuff that, that your car might have. But, but there's a reason we take it seriously. And, and as a, a dad, as my kids got older and, and we're, we're learning to drive, I've told them that story. I have tried to convey the seriousness of what it means every time you get in the car. And I don't want them to be terrified and not want to drive. What I want them to do is take it seriously. That every time they get behind the wheel, something very serious could happen. You see, that's what I think a a healthy fear is. It's not a fear that causes you to freeze up and and cease to be able to function. It's the kind of fear that that helps you make wise choices, helps you gain discernment. 
That's the kind of fear we're talking about. Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me, God says, and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Talking to the people of Israel, that if they would fear me, they would keep my commandments. If you would have an honest, healthy fear, awe of God, that you would be more willing, more able to keep the commandments and do what he tells you to do. He says, look, if they do that, it'll go better for them. It will go well. A heart to fear God means you do what he says. And then it goes well. It doesn't mean you're going to do everything right. Right? It it doesn't mean that when you mess up, so you don't fear God. No, he actually... Scripture's really clear about that. That is, that is, much as you might desire to be closer with the Lord, to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who he is, you're going to mess up. That like the Apostle Paul, who, well, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And out of frustration, he cried out, who can save me from this body of death? You see, It's not that you won't mess up. It's not when you, well, I fear God, so I won't ever make a mistake. In fact, you fear God and you grow in wisdom and you understand when those mistakes happen, God is still gracious and loving and willing to forgive. And so a fear of God won't be the thing that that keeps you from, from ever sinning. It'll help you focus on God. Number two, fearing the Lord will keep you from sin and danger. I like the, uh, the danger part. That sounds good. When Moses gave the Ten Commandments to the people, they were afraid. They were afraid by God's awesome display of power. And Moses reassured them, right? Because their, their fear of God, when he, they, they saw God's display of power, they were frozen in fear. Look at what happens. This is Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 18. When the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. So so them being afraid is reasonable. I guarantee if I see this, I'm afraid and I'm going to do exactly what they did. It says they stood far off. Yet, That's not supposed to be the result of our healthy, honest fear of God. It's not to be far off. In fact, what scripture says really clearly is that because of our fear of God, we understand it's not about us. It's all about him. And he draws us to himself through Jesus Christ. We can't do it. So the people stood far off, verse 19, and they said, to, they said to Moses, you speak to us, we will listen, but don't let God speak to us for we're going to die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So there you are. In awe of God, fear, you're, you're afraid of what you see, you know what can happen. But it's for a reason. This display 
is that you would understand who God is. And because of that, he says, so you're not going to sin. You're going to take him seriously. We need to take God seriously. This is sobering, right? Sobering in the biblical term that means in your right mind. You're supposed to think clearly about who God is. When you think clearly about who God is, then you, you take sin seriously instead of something to be played at. It's that we're supposed to be in awe of God. They were to respect God and then do what he said to do, right? That when you see the awesome power of who God is, how can you not? It's why my experience with ministries that, that have um, large groups of people that have come out of just really rough backgrounds, whether it, it having to do with drugs and alcohol and, and jail and things like that, that they tend to be people that are just in awe of God because they understand what he saved them from. I think sometimes we forget that there is no difference between the sin they committed and put them in jail and the sin we commit before God that results in hell, right? Because the wages of sin is death regardless. And we've been saved from the same thing. That the awesome power of what Jesus did on the cross, the result is still the same. It's to save us, that we might be called children of God. We just forget that sometimes. And so we're supposed to be in awe of who he is. In Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. There's a, a point at which we just turn off fear. We, we, we grow numb to it. We just forget that we're supposed to be in awe. We start to take God for granted. We become jaded to respecting God. And we've been forgiven so many times. We think, well, he's not going to forgive me again. It doesn't matter what I do now. Or, or the opposite. You know what? There's no limit. They, we sing songs about it, that there's no limit to the, the, uh, the mercy of God. That it's new every morning. Well, then let me put that to the test. The apostle Paul said that. He goes, if, if when I sin, God's grace abounds, shouldn't I keep on sinning so it abound even more? And then, and then depending on your translation, he says, by no means. You don't sin just for the sake that... that then God could forgive me. That's silly. But I've known plenty of Christians who have done exactly that. You know, it doesn't matter what I do because God forgives. Now, that's because we're not taking sin seriously because we're not fearing God. We're not taking God seriously. Number three, fearing the Lord will help you share Jesus. You want to understand your responsibility as a follower of Christ. Uh, I was asked this one time, I was in a, a seminary class and uh, we had a guest speaker. He was a pastor of a, a large uh, Baptist church that had come to, uh, to, to guest speak in our evangelism class. And he says, what is the purpose of the church? Now you, you would think we would have been onto it because we're in evangelism class. 
but people raised their hand. They said, it's to glorify God. It's, it's to, uh, to represent God in the world, to be his ambassadors. And, he, said, and he, goes, he goes, let's just get to it. The church was given the great commission. We're to go into all the world and make disciples. Those are your marching orders. Those aren't just for the church. Well, I'm just kind of in it. No, that's literally for every believer. You have one job to do. That job is to make disciples. When you fear God, you take that seriously. My job is to make disciples, to proclaim the good news. Why? Why is a fear of God that which brings us to a point where we're more willing to share Jesus? I had never been to the Grand Canyon. In fact, in the summer of 1998, I was eating dinner with my wife and a friend of ours. It was uh, near the end of the summer. Classes were starting soon. We're sitting around just enjoying dinner. And we, we started talking about the Grand Canyon. I don't know why. My wife, Krista, had, had been to the Grand Canyon. But my friend and I, we had never been. We had driven by. I had thought about this several times. In fact, we had driven by the Grand Canyon at least four times on my way to Glorieta, New Mexico. I saw the sign. That was the only reason I knew where the Grand Canyon was because I'd never been. Lived my whole life in Southern California and never been to the Grand Canyon. And as we got talking about it, I don't remember who, one of us had the idea, well, let's go. Yeah, okay, we'll go. No, 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 let's go right now. You mean now, now? Like in the morning? No, 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 right now. Okay. Went back to the house, made a couple pots of coffee. She called her parents and said, by the way, we're leaving the state just so someone knows if we die where we went. We hopped in her car and we drove. It's kind of a, a neat thing to get to the Grand Canyon when the sun rises. Now, here's why I bring this up. Not because that was not a very wise thing to do. And I would not do that today. I like my sleep way too much. But the reason is that I had never seen the Grand Canyon. I had seen pictures. Seen it on TV. Right? I know when the Brady Bunch went to the Grand Canyon. But I had never seen it myself until that morning. And we had just a few short hours at the Grand Canyon. We had to get back. In fact, that night we had a church event for the ladies. I'm like, we got to go back. We couldn't stay. And what I decided there is we've got to come back. I haven't stopped talking about the Grand Canyon since. In fact, I've been back three times. I've hiked into it. I've camped there. I've taken church groups there since then. You know why? Because when you go there, you get to talk about creation and the awesome, uh, things that God has done. But I didn't know to talk about it until I experienced it, until I saw it with my own eyes. When you fear God, when you have an awe of who God is, you can't help but talk about him. And that's the key. To know what you have been saved from, to know what you've been promised in eternity is the key. You can't help but talk about Jesus. The experience, the respect that you have 
is why you talk about it. 2 Corinthians 5.11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, Paul says. What we are is known to God and I hope is known also to your conscience. When you fear God, when you're in awe of him, you persuade others. Not that you have to be the most articulate. Not that you have to have a degree in apologetics. You have to actually convince people. It's actually not how it works. I don't think as, as good as you might be at reasonable logic, at, at answering any question that might arise about scripture, about who God is, that's actually not how you convince people of who Jesus is. You know how it works? The Holy Spirit. Our job as believers is to go into the world to make disciples by representing him, talking about him, being followers of Christ, but actually doing it. And then trusting the Holy Spirit will work in their life. People come to faith in Christ because God's at work in their life. But he uses you and I. That's how it works. People come to Christ when Christians do what Christians are supposed to do. They talk about him. They proclaim the good news. Because there's no better witness than an eyewitness. If you talk about what others have seen and experienced, you're just sharing hearsay or gossip. But when you talk about what you've seen and you've experienced, it helps people see what God wants to do in their life as well. And then number four, fearing the Lord will show your awe for the Lord. This is worship, right? When you talk about God because you fear him, when you're in awe of who he is and what he's done, this is an act of worship. In Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews really talking about our faith. He starts off, he's actually contrasting. You'll see verse 18. For we have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearer beg that no further message be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses says, I tremble with fear. So, so he goes, look, we don't have a faith like that. We don't have a faith where there's blazing fire and gloom and tempest and trumpets and a voice that when you hear the voice, you go, no more, no more, no more. He goes, we don't have a faith like that. Verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled 
blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You don't have to be afraid in that sense. Our, our fear of God isn't that kind of fear that, that, that seemed to, to permeate what the Israelites had to deal with. No, our fear is in awe, in worship, and celebration. Because we have a mediator. He's the one we go to. We have Jesus. Now, if, if that's not where you're at today, then my prayer for you is that, is that maybe today would be the day that you decide to let God work in your life. That, that today would be the day you say, you know what, God, I, I've been, been holding back. I haven't had that healthy fear, that respect for you. And that today would be the day. And, and like a lot of things, it's not about signing on a dotted line. It's not about telling me. It is about telling God. God, today, please help me. Today, forgive me. Uh, here's how it works. Scripture makes it clear that, that we're all sinners. Sin just means we've broken God's law. What God said to do, we didn't do. What God said, don't do that, we've done. And it's not just you and it's not just me. In fact, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Scripture says. And because of that, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve, death because of our sin. Yet, God gave Jesus, who was without sin. Scripture says he became sin in our place. It's called the atonement. Lots of fancy words. That means he took our sin on him. That if we would believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, who died on the cross to pay for our sins, that we would acknowledge our sin and ask God to forgive us. It's called repentance. Again, fancy words. That just means, God, please forgive me. I won't do it anymore. It's called, the, the, the word actually means to turn, to turn from sin. Yet when you turn from sin, you've got to turn somewhere. We turn to follow Christ. And he says that, scripture says that he is faithful to forgive. And so if that's something you need to do today, we're going to pray. And I'm just going to ask you just in that moment with God, God, would you forgive me? Would you help me? And then uh, some other uh, first steps that I have, first of all, uh, I'm going to focus on how blessed I am that the creator of the universe knows me. You want to be in awe of something? Know that he doesn't just know where you live. He doesn't just know about the church. He knows you. He knows you better than you know you. That, that's sobering. Uh, and yet, how awesome that is, that even knowing that, <laughs> what, uh, what Paul said, as bad as I am, right, as bad as I am, Jesus didn't just die for all of us, he died for each of us. That means each one of us. And then I put on there, memorize Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, and you can memorize it in whatever translation you have. Uh, but this is one, you want a sense of awe. You get it from Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seating on the, sitting on the throne, high and lifted up with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And they called out 
one to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundation of the temple shook. And the voices of him who is called. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said, woe to me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I have that memorized in a different translation. So sorry, I bumbled that a little bit. Uh, You want a sense of what kind of is really going on. I would encourage you to uh, read that and you want to memorize a couple of those verses, be a great place to go. I often go back there when I want a a sense of of what, uh, what Isaiah saw of heaven. Just a picture. I think the reality will be like what Paul said, that that we see through a a mirror darkly and we'll get to see face to face. And that's what we're hoping for. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good to us that you have given us your son to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, that we might uh, believe and be forgiven. Your word says that it's not just that uh, we get a get out of hell free card. It's that you promise us that we would be children of God. That we get to be your children, adopted in. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Co-heirs with Jesus. And Father, whatever that looks like. In eternity, we understand that you have given us the church. You've given us each other to support us. You've given us your son to pay that we might be saved. And we thank you for that. Pray this morning for each person that that our understanding of what it means to fear you, this, this life hack, that we would make that clear. We would share that with others because of what you've done for us, that we would desire to have others hear about you, trust you, and believe. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have the hairs on our head numbered, that you know us all by name, and you know us better than we know ourselves. Help us to trust you. Father, We pray that your spirit would move in a mighty way in our lives, that we would boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is alive, our Savior, and at work in our lives and desiring to work in others. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.